1994, South African photojournalist Kevin Carter won the Pulitzer Prize for feature photography. The photograph that brought him fame depicted an emaciated Sudanese child crawling toward a feeding center under the hard stare of a nearby vulture. The image which so powerfully captured the horror of famine-stricken Sudan in the early 1990s drew international attention to both Sudan's suffering and to Kevin Carter's career. But with Carter's acclaim came the questions. People wanted to know what happened to the child. After snapping his camera, what had Carter done to help the dying child? Painfully, Carter admitted that after spending about 20 minutes framing the shot, he had simply walked away. Within two months of receiving journalism's most coveted award, the 33-year-old photojournalist took his own life. Kevin Carter had been raised in a devoutly religious home, but he had long since left his upbringing behind. Now he'd seen too much of the world's suffering, and he could no longer cope. He parked his pickup truck near where he had played as a child, attached a garden hose to the exhaust pipe, and breathed in the fumes. I'm really, really sorry, he said in a note left on the seat beside him. The pain of life overrides the joy to the point that joy does not exist. Those were his last words. Today, the Sudan is still very much in turmoil, ravaged by civil war that has lasted for more than 20 years and killed more than 2 million people. Joy in the midst of turmoil. Kevin Carter had none, and he took his own life as a result. As I read his story, I pondered the question, is it possible for someone to experience joy in the midst of turmoil? The passage we're going to read this morning is in the New Testament. It's in the book of Acts. We were journeying through the book of Exodus, and we will continue that next week. But for today, we're going to be in Acts chapter 16, verses 25 to 34. The title is Finding Joy in the Midst of Chaos, in the Midst of Turmoil. Is that possible? What if you're a non-believer? You don't believe in Jesus. Is that possible for someone to experience joy in the midst of turmoil? As I look in our world today, there are many people who are hurting. With everything that's going on in our world, many people do not believe. They have no hope. Those who have no faith in Jesus have no hope, no joy. Is it possible for such people to experience or find joy in the midst of such trying circumstances? Business owners whose businesses are going under, everything that they worked so hard for for so long are now going under for a whole host of reasons. Why continue going forward? The future doesn't look too bright, if we're honest. So that's the question. Can someone who does not know Jesus find joy in the midst of the turmoil that is going on in their life? Kevin Carter did not. It's a serious question that we need to ask 
Because there are many people in our world who don't know Jesus and have no joy. Perhaps you know such a person. Or maybe as a believer you have no joy yourself. How can someone who does not know Jesus find joy in the midst of the turmoil that is going on in their life? The person we're going to read about today has no name. He's simply known as the keeper of the prison. He was a prison guard in the city of Philippi. We pick up the story where Paul and Silas, two evangelists who were serving God faithfully in Philippi, were preaching the gospel. As a result of being faithful to God in a broken world, they end up going to prison and were beaten. And so we find the story, Paul and Silas are in prison, no freedom, and this is where we pick up the story. How can someone find, or how can someone who does not know Jesus find joy in the midst of turmoil that is going on in their life? Number one, unbelievers who find joy in the midst of turmoil often do so because the disruption they have experienced provided them with an opportunity to hear the good news concerning Jesus Christ. Verses 25 and 26. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were loosed. Notice that there was a great earthquake. What is an earthquake? By definition, an earthquake is a sudden and violent shaking of the ground, sometimes causing great destruction as a result of movements within the earth's crust or volcanic action. That's how we normally define an earthquake. But there's another definition of an earthquake. An earthquake could be a disturbance that is extremely disruptive in one's life. For example, selling the company caused an earthquake among the employees. An earthquake could be any sudden change in your normal pattern of life. It could be anything. You get struck down or you get diagnosed with cancer. That's an earthquake. Losing your job is an earthquake. Something that disrupts your pattern of living. That's what happened to this Philippian jailer. He's living life, doing his thing, and suddenly there's a great disruption. And what happened when the great disruption came? All of the doors were opened. This was an opportunity for the person. Open doors are open doors of opportunity. And the open doors of opportunity came because of the great disruption. That is true that when we go through difficulty or turmoil... There is a silver lining and there are going to be opportunities that are within the, the disruption that enters into one's life. That's what happened to the Philippian jailer. So we learn here that in this particular case, the Philippian jailer who is not a believer will ultimately find joy in the midst of turmoil, first of all, because of the disruption that he experienced provided him with an opportunity to be blessed, in this particular case, to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, which was his greatest need. Uh, this is true as believers as well. For any one of us, when we go through something that disrupts our life, there will be an opportunity to be blessed in the midst of it. Newly traded bench player 
Scal Labisiri arrived in Portland knowing that his playing time would be minimal at best. Yet reflecting on his path to the NBA, he was not filled with anxiety but gratitude. Labisiri knows that he'll probably just play a few garbage time minutes during a blowout, a far cry from the 20 minutes per game he played for his last team. But here's his perspective. Things like this, playing time, yeah, it's frustrating at times, but after what I've been through, believe me, I'm good. God got me to this point. I still have ways to go. I'm excited about what's ahead here. Labasiri was alluding to the tragic earthquake in his native Haiti that he experienced as a 13-year-old. The quake caught him unaware on the third floor of his home. He eventually had a wall crash onto his back as he protected his mother from the shifting rubble. It left him unable to walk for weeks. His family all survived, but they knew his dream of playing NBA basketball would be difficult if he remained in Port-au-Prince. So his father found a nonprofit that might help a, young, help a young man with his potential. Eight months later, he flew to the United States to live with local resident Gerald Hamilton and his family in Memphis, Tennessee. The love and support from the Hamiltons gave him the foundation he needed to pursue high school basketball, then college hoops at Kentucky, and eventually the NBA. Labasier said that the earthquake was an awful event, but he added, but for me, God used that experience to open doors. Because of God's great love and omnipotence, God can create opportunity out of tragedy. Even situations that look and feel hopeless are still within God's grasp of blessing. That's what the Philippian jailer will experience in the future. This earthquake, this disruption, this unpleasant experience, this trial is going to create an open door for him that is going to bring great blessing that will ultimately lead to joy. It happened in his life and it can happen in ours as well. Secondly, unbelievers who find joy in the midst of turmoil often do so because they received an encouraging word from God's representative in a time of great despair. Verses 27 and 28. And the keeper of the prison, awakening from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself despair. But Paul called with a loud voice saying, do yourself no harm for we are all here. Encouraging word at a time of despair. Well, why was he going to take his life? Why was he going to do that anyway? His responsibility, he's a, he is a prison guard, keeper of the prison. Most of the individuals who had that occupation at that time were retired soldiers. They took great pride in their responsibility. He's also living in an honor-shame culture. And the last thing he wants to do is be publicly humiliated by, because he wasn't faithful to his duties. He would have been seen as someone who neglected his duties in presenting the prisoners when he was called to do so by his superiors. And that was unacceptable to him. He couldn't publicly face that kind of shame. So he thought it would be better if he took his own life. That would be the more honorable thing to do. So he wanted to take his own life. The Apostle Paul was alert and was aware and gave him a word of encouragement telling him, listen, we didn't leave. We're all here. It was a word of encouragement to him 
that made all the difference in the world. If he does not receive that word of encouragement in his time of despair, he's never going to experience any joy later on in his life. Did you ever experience an encouraging word in a time of despair in your own life? It can make all the difference. I know because it happened to me. Back in, oh, this maybe six years ago, I was serving as an intern at a church in, in Washington Depot, Connecticut. It was a Saturday night. I was preparing. I had to preach on Sunday morning. And I was spending hours and hours and hours trying to prepare a sermon that I thought would be a message that would be a blessing to the people who were going to hear me preach. And I would spend hours and hours, and it would never come out the way I wanted it to. It just wasn't what I wanted it to be, and I was getting discouraged. And I had no social life. I spent all my time, all I do was prepare for sermons. And I got so discouraged, I began to question whether or not God was calling me to be a preacher or a teacher of his word. So much so that at that Saturday night, I said, that's it. I'm done. I'm not doing this anymore. God's not calling me to be a preacher or a teacher because if it was, it wouldn't be that difficult. And I said, that's it. And I remember standing in the loft all by myself. I says, Lord, I'm going to fulfill my obligation and my internship. But once my internship is over, I'm going to pursue something different because you're not calling me to be a preacher or a teacher. I was discouraged, man. I was going to give up. Done. Over with. I was serious, and the Lord knew it. Well, I went and preached that, ser- that sermon on Sunday morning. Sermon was done. Good. Over with. Now I can just kind of get ready and see what I'm going to do for my future, where I'm going to go. I didn't know what I was going to do. I was going to tell my family I'm not going to do this anymore. What that would have done to them and to their faith, I don't know. So that was it. Made my decision. Then I received an email Sunday afternoon. I want to share this email with you. It had such an impact on my life that I took a photo of it and I preserved it on my phone. This is uh, from a woman named Amy who was in the church, one of the women I greatly respect in that church. The email was sent on March 8, 2015 at 12.59 p.m. Hi, John. Your sermon today was spot on, just terrific. You are certainly being called to preach and evangelize. Are you kidding me? Your description of the tabernacle and the courtyard area was very clear. I preached on the, when Jesus cleansed the temple. She says, your description of the tabernacle and the courtyard was very clear. The image of Jesus being angry and flipping the tables is a difficult one for people to understand. It was very easy to follow your explanation of righteous anger. Your sermons have always ended up with the importance of Jesus being our personal Savior. And today it was laid out so simply and clearly how he left us the Holy Spirit which dwells in us and that we need to keep our temples clean and pure. God uses your words or gives you the words to reach us in that little church. I know it's the Holy Spirit at work because it makes my eyes tear up. One day, John, you're going to pastor a church and your spirit-inspired sermons are going to draw many who are seeking Christ to find him in your church. I think God has big plans for you. I feel that every time you preach, you speak the clear truth. I am happy to have heard your preaching in its earliest times. You'll be in my prayers as you move forward in ministry. Thanks be to God and how he uses each and every one of us for his glory if we want it. Amy. 
I tell you the truth, if I never received that email, I wouldn't be here right now. And any joy that I experience in ministry is directly related to an encouraging word when I was down in the dumps. The reason why this man, this prison keeper, the keeper of the prison, experiences joy later on in his life, soon, is because he received an encouraging word from God's representative in a time of despair. As a believer in Jesus Christ, you are God's representative. Maybe you know someone who needs an encouraging word. You, we have no idea the impact of our words when we share them with people who are down and out. And there are plenty of people in our society today who are just that. So keep that in mind. Maybe you were the recipient of one, or you could be the, recip- you could be the medium by which God blesses someone else. And they will experience joy because you were sensitive, followed God's spirit, and urging like Amy did with me and can change a person's life from despair to joy. Thirdly, unbelievers who find joy in the midst of turmoil often do so because they ask for guidance and receive divine they ask for and receive divine guidance from God's representatives in the midst of their fears. I'm going to backtrack just a second. The prisoners never left the prison. It is interesting. The Apostle Paul says, we're all here. They don't leave the prison. The prison doors are open. They're they're unshackled. They can leave, but they don't leave. The question is why? Why don't they leave? Did you ever ask that question? Why do they stay there? Yes, the Apostle Paul and Silas were singing, and obviously they're singing in prison after being beaten for being faithful to Jesus. They're now not complaining, they're singing, and obviously they had some kind of impact on those who were in the prison with them. And when Paul and Silas don't leave, the prisoners don't leave. That's part of it, but I think there's something deeper going on here. The prison doors opened, not so that those on the inside could get out. The prison doors opened so that the one on the outside could get in. For true freedom is found in Jesus Christ. And Christ was in Paul and Silas. And if the Philippian jailer was going to find true freedom that day, he was going to find it inside of a prison cell, which tells us that true freedom is not contingent on one's circumstances. True freedom is found in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, regardless of the circumstances you find yourself in. And Paul and Silas singing hymns to God in prison is evidence of that. True freedom is based on one's personal relationship with Jesus and not on the circumstances that you find yourself in. Very important. Thirdly, unbelievers who find joy in the midst of turmoil often do so because they asked for and received divine guidance from God's representatives in the midst of their fears. Verses 29 to 31. Then he, the Philippian jailer, called for a light and ran in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? There's the question. He's looking for guidance. And so they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. He receives a response. Notice what happened here. The keeper of the prison called out for a light. He did so because he needed guidance to see where he was going. The light that he used led him to Paul and Silas, who were two lights that would guide him to the light of the world, Jesus Christ. 
The reason why this unbeliever will find joy in the midst of the turmoil is because he was not paralyzed with his fear, but was willing to ask for and receive divine guidance and instruction from God's representatives. Very important. Too too many times people are afraid in the midst of their fears to ask the questions that need to be asked. Maybe they don't want to know the answer. Maybe they're afraid of the answer because they know they're going to have to change their life and they don't want to change but something's got to give. The Philippian jailer was willing to ask the difficult question, the necessary question, and he didn't allow his fear to paralyze him from doing so. Fourthly, unbelievers who find joy in the midst of turmoil often do so because they responded without delay to the divine message that they had heard from God's representatives. Verses 32 and 33. Then they, Paul and Silas, spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them, that is the Philippian jailer, took Paul and Silas the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. And immediately he and all his family were baptized. The Holy Spirit is instructing the author to write this account in such a way where the emphasis is on his immediate response to the message that he has heard. And it was evident two ways. By his compassion, he washed those who were beaten, Paul and Silas. He washed their wounds. And by his obedience, he and his family were baptized. There are two washings. He washes them And he is washed clean through baptism. The point is, he didn't wait. He immediately responded. And our joy is going to be contingent or parallel the response time to the message that we hear. If he delays, he's not going to experience joy. If he responds, the sooner he responds, the quicker he can experience the joy in the midst of his turmoil. Finally, Those who experience joy in the midst of turmoil often do so because they now serve God's people as a result of their newfound faith in Jesus. Verse 34, now when he had brought them, Paul and Silas, into his house, he set food before them, he's serving them, and what does he do? He rejoices. He has joy now. Why? Having believed in God with all of his household. Here's a person who has just experienced an earthquake, a major change in his life, and now he has joy because of his relationship with God, and the result of that joy and the result of that newfound faith caused him to serve God's people, which is only going to amplify the joy. All in one night, This is how an individual can experience joy in the midst of chaos, in the midst of turmoil. When you don't know Jesus, this is the map by which one can experience joy. And it will happen in conjunction with how quickly we respond to the message, the divine message that God's representatives give in the midst of the chaos. This is a message that people who don't know Jesus Christ need to hear today. Keep this passage in mind when you come across people who don't know Jesus and you can see that they have no hope and no joy. 
You can always turn to this passage in Acts 16, 25 to 34, and you can share this news with them and give them the hope and the joy that they long for, which transcends the circumstances that we find ourselves in, which they find themselves in. Dr. Warren Cooper, a Christian who works as a surgeon with Samaritan's Purse in southern Sudan, the same place where Kevin Carter worked. The suffering Warren has seen among his patients is indescribable, and yet after five years in a hospital that has been called a living history museum of pathology, he has no plans to leave. How does Dr. Cooper cope? For Warren, the field of medicine allows him to live out his Christian faith, not in word, but indeed in service. I think it'd be very hard to continue doing this, that is, this job in the midst of turmoil, if you didn't have a sense of ultimate meaning to what you're doing, he says. And that's what a relationship with Jesus Christ does, faith. It gives us a meaning and a purpose that transcends the circumstances and the chaos and the turmoil that we find ourselves in. And it redirects that purpose to serve other people. And in the process of that, we experience joy that transcends everything. Is it possible to experience joy in the midst of our trials and circumstances? Absolutely. If one is connected with Jesus Christ, one can experience that. And the Philippian jailer is an example of that. And when God's at work, that transformation can be in a snap of a finger. Are you experiencing joy today? You're a child of God? Why are you not experiencing joy? What's keeping you from experiencing joy? Some of you I know are going through some very difficult challenges. But as Paul and Silas told us, through their own life story, not through their words, but through their praising and singing hymns to God, while they were in prison, after they were being beaten, they had joy. And that joy was contagious. And that joy led a person to know Jesus and they experience the very same thing. May that be true in our lives today because we do live in a day where people are going to be seeking joy, are seeking joy and hope. And it is us, you and me, the body of Christ, are the only ones who can give them that. We're the only ones. They're not going to find it out there. Only those who have a personal relationship with Jesus can give it to them. May that be the case in your life and in mine. Let us pray together. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We do know, Lord, that our family members and friends who are going through difficulty, they have their own earthquakes. And Lord, I pray that you would send your people, that we would be aware and alert to what you're doing in their life and that we can give an encouraging word to them, that this would be an opportunity for them to, to, to find you or to experience you in new ways, that we won't be afraid to ask the tough questions that we will receive guidance and wisdom from those who know you, who live the Christian life the way it should be lived, spirit-filled. Lord, we just ask that you would do a mighty work in these people's lives, that joy is something that is a very real possibility, and not all situations can end up like Kevin Carter, who felt he had no hope and had to take his own life. There are many people out there who feel that way right now. And I pray, Lord God, that this message will be heard at least by those who are listening to it on the radio in the future, that in your providence you will direct this message to, to people who, who are looking for something to grab onto, that, 
they will know you in a personal, deep way, that you're alive, that you've conquered death, and that our joy is not based on our circumstances, but our joy is based on our relationship with you, and you transcend everything. And so our joy in you can transcend everything. May that truth sink into all of our lives. Hear our prayer this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Let us continue our worship this morning by singing, How Firm a Foundation. Would you please stand if you are able? It is interesting that the foundation on which the prison stood were shaken in the midst of the earthquake. The foundation of Jesus Christ is not like the foundation that buildings are built upon. When the earthquake happens and your foundation is on Jesus Christ, it cannot be shaken. It cannot be shaken. It is not possible because the one on whom you rest cannot be shaken. And he's in you and you have his spirit. So keep that in mind. Jesus Christ is the firm foundation on which we live our lives. And no matter what happens to you physically, spiritually, socially, you are his. And he belongs to you. He is your foundation. Praise his name. Receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Now go in peace and joy in him. Amen.